From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show is the second part of our interview with Gerald Pollock on the fourth phase of water and the very famous Grokotron 5000. So stay tuned right here for Grok Science. Welcome back to the Grok Science Show. Well, joining us again this week is Professor Gerald Pollock with the second part of our interview on the fourth phase of water. Uh, scientifically, what what are the time dynamics for the formation of this phase? Is it within microseconds, milliseconds, or like you know hours to to uh, induce? Another good question. So, um, if if you boil it down, it's about one micrometer worth of this stuff. In other words, many layers uh, giving you one micrometer takes about one second, roughly. This is order of magnitude. So. If you have a, a strongly hydrophilic surface and you introduce water, the EZ will build, or fourth phase will build, uh, will build up. And if it grows out, uh, typically it will grow out to um, a couple of tenths of a millimeter, and that'll take five to ten minutes. So it sounds slow, mm-hmm. um, and in some cases even longer. Uh, however, if you judge by the layer, then uh, I, I haven't calculated it recently. I forgot, but I. I think it's less than a microsecond per per molecular layer or something like that. How about the addition of ions or or minerals? Does that affect how this uh, layer forms? Uh, yes, it it does. So if you if you add a lot of salt, if you add a little bit of salt, it has very little effect. And in fact, uh, for some reason that we don't understand, um, a very small amount of salt, less than one millimolar, somehow can build it. Um, and we don't understand why. But when you get to concentrations of salt, various salts, uh, in, in the region of 50 to 100 millimolar, where roughly 150 millimolar, it gets progressively, the zone gets progressively smaller. And if you put enough salt in, then it, it basically disappears. So it is sensitive to ions and salt. On the other hand, um, if you start with with uh, salt molecules, as for example in in uh, water that um, spring water, for example, which will have various minerals, it looks like the uh, easy water forms around each molecule, or better, probably around each molecular cluster, because we did experiments and 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 some of others to to put some of that water in a spectrometer. And we can measure the amount of easy water because easy water absorbs light in the ultraviolet range at roughly 270 nanometers. Ordinary water doesn't do that, so it, that's another way in which they're different. And and so the strength of the absorption peak tells us roughly how much water there is and or how much easy water there there is. And uh, it, we we examined various uh, uh, minerals, the mineral waters, and indeed we, we found that, um, that we have a peak. And some other people uh, have done that too. I don't know if it's published, but I've seen some records of very strong peaks at roughly 270 nanometers. So, I mean, that's, that's another 
uh, indication of perhaps uh, drinking the spring water may be particularly good for your health because mm. what you're doing is is you're putting the kind of water into your body that your cells need. And you're okay. getting it by drinking it. Mm-hmm. It's the same as juicing. I, I don't know, maybe some of your listeners are, are familiar with it. You know, take, take some green vegetables um, and squeeze them so the juice comes out. Well, what are you drinking? You're drinking cell water from plants. And that cell water is much like your cell water and my cell water. It's fourth phase water. And, and we measure that this plant juice that comes out, and indeed it's just full of this uh, fourth phase uh, water. And by drinking it, you're supplying your cells with what, what your cells uh, need. And, and that perhaps explains why uh, many integrative physicians who who prescribe this, uh, no matter what the patient is suffering, they walk in and, and I've heard from many of them, the first thing they suggest is drink juice. I mean, go through this green juicing, add mm-hmm. something to make it palatable, but drink the green juice. And, and I think the reason they find such success with it, no matter what the patient is suffering, is that they're basically rehydrating the patient with the same kind of water that they need in their own cells to make them function properly. What I'm getting at is this, the finding of, of the fourth phase and the finding that it's the, the stuff that fills your, your cells. It leads to new understanding and new paradigms about how, how to, to attain or maintain health in, in a very straightforward way, a, a new, new understanding. It kind of explains what we've actually known for a long time but don't quite un, didn't quite understand. Well, um, I, I guess we are out of time here. I just want to thank you um, for joining us today. Delighted. Thank you, Frank, and uh, appreciate your time, too, and uh, thanks for inviting me. And we were just talking to Professor Gerald Pollack of Washington University on the fourth phase of water. In a few moments, he joins us again for the Gurakotron 5000, so stay right there. Professor Pollock has kindly agreed to join us on this week's Grokotron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. This week's association will be on the four phases of water. I want to give you five different subjects, and in terms of the phases, tell me which one you think they most relate to. Subject number one, Star Wars character Yoda. Which phase do you think he's in? Oh my goodness, which phase he's in? Since... um... We, we, we presume his existence is not so different from our, our existence. I'd say that he's mostly fourth phase or easy water. <laughs> <laughs> you think differently? I was going to say solid because he represents fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, 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 that could well be. <laughs> but he gets around. Yes. He? Uh, he moves. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so it's probably not ice. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. 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 Subject number two, world-renowned physicist Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Sorry, what about Albert Einstein? Which phase do you think he's in? He? Yes. Oh, I, undoubtedly. Right now, you mean? Or, or just... Yeah. He used to be. Yeah, used to be. <laughs> used to, oh, okay. Big difference. Uh, yeah. The evidence points to we're all mostly, not entirely, mostly fourth-phase water. Huh. Is there a quantum basis to that? <laughs> <laughs> there is a quantitative basis. I wouldn't say. Well, you know, Einstein was not so sure about uh, 
playing dice. So uh, I, I'm not sure how far we, we, we can go with that. But, you know, he he was certainly human. He had um, human frailties, and, and therefore I, I think he's fourth phase. Okay, subject number three, avian bottled water. It's very difficult because uh, they're all very difficult because, you know, I get emails and phone calls incessantly. And the question is, hey, what water should I drink? And I gotta, I've got to tell the people, you know, I ain't got a clue. It's not quite true, but here's the deal. So you can go to the Internet and you can find all kinds of um, water companies producing waters. And every one of them will tell you that this is the best water you can get. Some will say it's the purest. Some will say it has the most health benefits and it runs all over the map. And, and you know, truthfully, what you need to do to um, talk about or comment on avian water or any one of the waters is you need to know, you need to test it, basically. You need to test it on humans, test it on, for example, animals, pathological animals. Uh, many of these waters, I've seen a couple of them, uh, I've seen the evidence they actually can reverse pathologies. Uh, at first, when I heard this, I said, no way, but I've seen the evidence. Particularly, there's uh, one, one fellow who has been producing kind of water, first produced in an academic laboratory, and, and now um, is, is, is making it in, in relatively small quantities. And, and he called me and he said, uh, he told me how someone who was, was um, on dialysis and was on the list for a kidney transplant, drank his water for a month and went back to the hospital and the pathology was gone. So I said, I don't believe you. And um, uh, he sent me the hospital records and then I invited him. We organized, organized uh, a con the International um, Conference on the Physics, Chemistry, and Biology of Water each year. I'm organizer and it's been the past three years or so, it's been in Bulgaria, which is rich with mineral waters, by the way. And he came, and this guy made a presentation, and by then he'd had quite a few people uh, on this regimen. And a good friend of mine went to, to interview some of these people, and it was indeed true. So it's kind of secondhand, but uh, from reliable sources, at least this one particular water has the capability of dealing with, with kidney pathology. And more recently, the claim is with other pathologies as well. So Avian water, I can't say. I, I don't know anything about the water. The waters need to be tested comparatively by a third party who has no interest in whether it's good water or lousy water or whatever. But these things require money. And, you know, we, we thought that we were a good laboratory to do it because we have biological experience. We know something about water. We have the equipment and we have the passion to figure out this, but the cost, in order to pay for all the animals and the people and organizing things, we're talking a few million dollars. Well, we, we applied to the National Institutes of Health and, you know, water? Are you really serious that you're going to study water? Uh, it just doesn't go over very well <laughs> at, that, at that level. You know, everybody knows, well, water is just H2O, nothing. And so, you know, we lose every time we've, we've tried that. I think this is so critically important for humanity to figure out which waters are best for health. Mm -hmm. Even if they can't reverse pathologies, which ones will keep you healthy? And so I can't, all I can say about the water, that particular water that you mentioned is it's certainly liquid and it may have, may or may not have fourth phase water in it too at some concentration. It right. needs to be tested. And subject number four, uh, 
more of a phenomena. Uh, climate change. Uh, does it correspond to any of the four phases? Well, yeah, this is a, a, a slightly more complicated uh, uh, problem. First of all, you know, the issues of climate are in the political realm right now, and, and so it's kind of dangerous to, to take a scientific stand because it seems so tinged with, with politics. In my own case, I've heard arguments on one side and arguments on the other side, and, you know, I listen to these people, and they're both compelling. There's certainly a larger number of people who think that the changes in climate are man-made, but listening to the other people, they have very good arguments, too, and one would have to immerse oneself full-time into checking all of those papers and references and head-scratching, whatever, to figure out which side is actually right. The majority doesn't always win. <laughs> However, having said that, and I don't know which, is, which side is right, which side is wrong from my point of view. However, there's a lot of stuff up there in the sky, a lot of water, and the, the climate people, to my great surprise, uh, having been interviewed together with one of the leaders in, in that field, the guy admitted to me that things that the, the physicists don't really understand uh, about climate is clouds, the first one, and evaporation is the second one. So it's kind of interesting that the, the most essential features that, that impact climate are, are features that the scientists themselves don't understand. And to give you, because you asked the question about which phase of water, take a cloud, for example. So a lot of people never thought about what keeps the cloud up in the sky. I mean, whoever thinks about that, if you understand that the clouds are made of little aerosol droplets and particulates, but uh -huh. basically it's water because sometimes they unzip and, um, and we, get, we get that water. It's, not actually an unzipping. Actually, the the drop the experiments show that the droplets get pulled to the earth. They don't just drop out of the cloud. But the main point is, how come you can look up and you see this white cloud? So the cloud is basically made of water, little droplets of water. And, you know, if you stand up on a ladder and you take a pail of water and pour it, the water goes down. So we know that water is heavier than air, and therefore it should, should reach the earth. But it doesn't always do that. Sometimes it stays up in the cloud. And the question is, what keeps it there? And I, I don't know if you've thought about that question, but it has to do with the phases of the, uh, uh, of the water. So I, I'm going in a kind of roundabout way because the question is really interesting. How come the cloud can stay up in the air? And I, I think the reason is, without giving you the evidence and such, but the, the reason is that these little aerosol droplets are actually negatively charged, and they're kind of glued together by positive charges that linger in in the atmosphere and if you have a lot of those positive charges they bring these little aerosol droplets together and and then you get a cloud and but the net charge in the cloud we know clouds are charged you see lightning all the time um, the net charge in the cloud is negative the net charge of the earth and i got to tell you i you could have knocked me over with a feather with a feather when i learned this because because I initially studied electrical engineering, and not one of my professors told me that the Earth has a net negative charge. But it's true. Uh, you can read the Feynman lectures, for example, that every pretty much graduate student in physics reads. It's from the Nobel laureate Richard Feynman, the hero of physicists, the Einstein of the second half of the last century. <laughs> Volume 2, Chapter 9, talks about the net negative charge of the earth and when my russian friend told me about this he was hanging out in my lab about to catch his plane his flight back to russia he was telling me about the earth's negative charge i said you're crazy this is impossible 
And he said, well, you're crazy because every middle school student in Russia knows about this. <laughs> I guess I missed something. Anyway, so getting back to this, the earth is negatively charged. The cloud is negatively charged. So what happens? Well, there's a repulsive force. And that's what keeps the cloud mm. up in the sky. So, but you're asking me a slightly different question. I thought this one was interesting. The, the question you're asking me is uh, what phase? And from all of our studies, and um, again, back to the book where all of this is, is explained, each little droplet, aerosol droplet, consists of actually two phases. And one phase is the shell. It's sort of like onion skins around the droplet that holds it together and keeps it spherical. That's easy water. So that's fourth phase water. Uh -huh. Inside the droplet, the core of the droplet is made either of liquid water or it could be uh, a vapor in, inside as well. And that liquid or vapor contains positive charge. So the positive charges in the core are repelling one another. They want to get out. And they're restrained by this shell, which is made of easy water. It keeps it together and keeps it spherical. So you got a lot of phases up there. Interesting, interesting. Okay, and finally, uh, subject number five, the Arctic polar caps, the ice oh, polar caps. Phase? Yes. Well, they, well they, they melt and they come back every winter. Is it possible yeah, the fifth you're, phase you're, there? Well, there's fourth phase because what I mentioned earlier, that when ice melts, it melts into the fourth phase, uh, which then uh, further degrades, melts, whatever you call it, into ordinary water. So undoubtedly all three of those are there. And it's interesting because sometimes, you know, around an iceberg, uh, um, some people have reported that if you take a boat and take the boat pretty close to the iceberg, the, uh, the water is so viscous over there that they have real trouble getting through. You know, it's mm -hmm. like slogging through mud. And nobody can really understand that, but I, I, I think that a possible understanding is that the melt that's, that's occurring, will, if, of course, it sloughs off in, into the ocean, and it's right there, and, and uh, it piles up, and if you go through it, uh, this stuff is much more viscous than water. We, our experiments showed that fourth-phase water is, is like two orders of magnitude more viscous, maybe 100 times, 50 times, something like that. It's highly viscous, like honey. So that's understandable that you'd have three of those phases. And also, you know, some of the water is evaporating. And um, we think of the, you know, vapor as being single molecules of water that somehow get a kick of kinetic energy and rise up. But our experiments show that that's not correct. And um, what really rises up during uh, evaporation are clusters, huge clusters. By huge, I mean the size of tens of micrometers and so tens of micrometers corresponds to 10 to the 10th water molecules inside or you know thousands of billions of water molecules coming up in one slug and rising up and you know evidence for that is you you can go to starbucks and you get some hot coffee or hot tea and if you got a black or dark background you can see the vapor rising up right and yeah and it, it rises and, and if you can see it, it means that it's deflecting or scattering light. And it's known that you can't scatter much light unless the particle size is bigger than the wavelength of light. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so wavelength of light is half a micrometer or so, and you see this very clearly. So 
and people have actually made direct measurements and these, these little blobs that are globules or whatever that, that come up are tens of micrometers. So, and it comes right from the coffee. It comes actually out of the, of the liquid that's underneath. And, and the experiments for that are published and also in, in the book, the fourth phase book that I mentioned. It's really astonishing to see it. Um, and, and so the, the vapor that rises, evaporation is not necessarily single water molecules that are just scattered around randomly. It has much more structure to it. And that's why when it's humid outside, sometimes you can't see very clearly. You know, like a humid day in Philadelphia or Washington, D.C. or Kyoto, whatever, you look a mile away or a kilometer away and you can't see the buildings very clearly when it's humid because you've got all those droplets suspended in the air and they scatter the light. And therefore, the light coming from the distant building gets scattered many, many times before it gets to your eye, and therefore the image looks fuzzy. So anyway, there are a, a lot of phenomena that come out of these observations that, um, for me, are really fascinating. Great. Well, uh, it's been a real fascinating discussion. Uh, Dr. Pollock, thank you again for joining us on Grok Science. Thanks for having me. Okay, <laughs> great. Thanks a okay. lot. Take care. Bye. All right, you too. We were just talking to Professor Gerald Pollock from Washington University. We're discussing the four phases of water.